And um, to those of you who are worshipping with us on LifeGate Outreach TV or listening to the podcasts uh, on iTunes or Buzzsprouts, I want to say thank you. And it is good to hear from you that you are being blessed by these messages. Those of you that have just signed on to our Facebook page in the last few days, I want to also say God bless you. And uh, we believe that the resources that God is spreading abroad through this place will continue to be a blessing to you in Jesus' name. We want to thank God for what he's been doing with us. Nine weeks ago, we started a series on uh, empowered to be witnesses. Empowered to be witnesses by divine help. And it's been nine solid Sundays that we have been looking at the various topics that God laid on my heart to sort of get us to look at for this time. And um, you can see our banner there. We have looked at everything from unity to strategic performance to call to serve, greater works, divine connections, ordered steps, vindication, influence last week. And today we will be looking at the theme, empowerment for adversarial victory. Hallelujah. When we talk about adversarial victory, we are talking about having victory over adversaries, having victory over the things that the devil has orchestrated or is orchestrating to limit us or to pollute our testimonies. These are the adversaries. The Bible says we have an adversary. And if there is anything the believer generation that we are in must realize, it is the fact that we will continue to have adversaries. Jesus himself, when he first mentioned the church in Matthew chapter 16, he said, I will build my church, in Matthew chapter 18, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The first thing we heard about the church is a building and hell. Building and hell. So the church must never forget that Jesus Till we see Jesus, till the end of time, we will keep contesting and contending against hell. But the truth is that he has made us more than conquerors already. Hallelujah. We are more, I say we are more than conquerors already in the name of Jesus. So if you have not been following the series, if you are hearing this one for the first time, maybe by audio or video, there are eight messages that precede this. We have looked at the book of Acts from Acts chapter 1 right through up to verse chapter 26. And we're looking today in chapters 27 and 28, which are the two final chapters in the book of Acts. But I want to also quickly say that we have been reading a foundational scripture in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, which we all read together, which underpins what we have been discussing so far. Let's read it together, Acts 1, 8, 1, 2, go. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Hallelujah. So we we have chosen this scripture because it underpins everything. These were Jesus' departing words when he was to ascend to heaven, of course, after his resurrection. Before that time, he had given them the commission, what we now today call the Great Commission, that they should go into the world and preach the gospel and all that, before he even went to the cross and before he resurrected. So he had given them the commission, but at this time, it was pivotal because he was making the final departure to reappear again when we see him in glory. Hallelujah. But when he said these words to them, he now made it clear to them that there was going to be an empowerment 
of the Holy Spirit that will come upon them. They should go and wait in a certain place in Jerusalem, physical place, and they went there to wait. And the Holy Spirit indeed came, just as it had been promised. And from Acts chapter 2, we began to see a new set of apostles. They were disciples up to that point, but they became church planters themselves. They became apostles. They became leaders because of this great empowerment. And we are still basking in that anointing today in our day and age. So the encouragement here is for us to realize that we are those witnesses who continue to receive that power. And may God continue to grant us understanding to perform in Jesus' name. So this empowerment that we come to in Acts chapter 27 and 28 are the final chapters of the great compendium of what I call the foundational church history as documented by one of the greatest minds, I believe, that ever lived. We hardly talk about this character in the person of Apostle Luke. But the more I read the book of Acts, the more I find that, you know, the church, many times we do emphasize great heroes of scripture. Like, of course, I will always tell you about my father, David. You can't deny that that was some extraordinary human being. But then we have people who were very, very silent and were very, very influential in their time. Apostle Luke was a very, very silent apostle. was a physician, trained doctor in his time. So he knew about medicine, he knew about things, but something we could see in his documentation of first the gospel according to St. Luke as we call it today, and the book of Acts, which was authored under the Holy Spirit inspiration by him, is very phenomenal. The detail that Apostle Luke gave to us in the book of Acts is unparalleled. The details of the journeys of Paul, the details of the manifestation of the apostles everywhere they went, and some of the discussions that took place between Apostle Paul and the people like Festus, Felix, Agrippa. These are wonderful stuff. His relationship with the likes of uh, Aquila and uh, Priscilla, his relationship with Timothy, the, the, the time he was with Silas. So Apostle Luke was making this journey with Paul, but at the same time, the journey he was making was he was also recognizing the details of things that were happening even in other places like Jerusalem. I don't want to make too much of, a, of an emphasis on this, but the key thing here is that Apostle Luke is somebody that the church must also continue to celebrate, just like we celebrate Paul and the others. So, but we see things today that he documented again in Acts chapter 27 and 28, of course, as inspired by the Holy Spirit concerning the life of Paul. Paul's ministry, again, takes the center stage, center stage in helping us to see how we must keep trusting in the Lord. If Jesus said in John 16, Jesus spoke a word. He said that in this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. We must understand that to be of good cheer simply means to rejoice, to be confident, to be glad. But the Bible says, follow those who through faith and patience obtained the promise. So a promise to be of good cheer is in place. But we must look at examples in scripture to see how. The day I found from the word of God that David encouraged himself. I never heard something like that. That you can encourage yourself. I said, wow, that's a, that's a secret there. And I learned that secret and it became part and parcel of my life. So I learned how to encourage myself. 
So there are things that we learn of the apostles of old, of the prophets of old, that help us to walk in the fulfillment of the promises of Scripture. So we must, one of the things was that Paul was a man who was fully persuaded that God was on his side. And we must be fully persuaded also of the victory that Christ has promised us. For us to be people who overcome adversity and the, advers- and the adversarial challenges that we will face, we must be a people who are fully persuaded that God is on our side. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, from verse 38 to verse 39. Let's read that together, verse 38. Let's go together. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, verse 39, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 39, verse 38 says, for I am persuaded. That's the key. What's your persuasion? It's easy for us to say no death, no life, no this, no that, and sing it in a song. (laughs) You need to be persuaded because when those things really come, it takes your persuasion to know what you actually stand for and what you actually will benefit. Hallelujah. A lack of persuasion about this simple truth yields double-mindedness. And the Bible says anytime a person, in the book of James, it said anytime a person is double-minded, what happens is that they have no faith. Such persons cannot receive anything from God. Double-mindedness is lack of faith. It's unbelief and it debars us. The Bible says without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. So what the devil wants you and I to have is double-mindedness. So he keeps increasing the, he keeps increasing the challenges that we have. He keeps increasing, the, the, he keeps stepping up the fire. Like Nebuchadnezzar said, raise up the fire seven times. Raise it up seven times. He keeps turning it higher so that there can be a scare, there can be something that makes us afraid. We almost come to the place that it takes our persuasion in such times. Abraham was another man that was fully persuaded. The Bible says in Romans chapter 4, verse 19. Let's read together. We're going to read up to verse 22 very quickly. Let's go. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Verse 20. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Verse 21. And being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. King James Version says, and being fully persuaded. The NIV also said, and being fully persuaded. He being fully persuaded. A believer, all we have gone through from the book of Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 26 so far, is to help you again to be fully persuaded. That if God kept those saints of old to fulfill their life mandates, even Stephen that was martyred fulfilled his life mandate by giving one of the greatest messages that allowed the church to find its footing. Even if 
every one of them that we read about is no more physically alive and with us today, we must be fully persuaded that the same God that was with them is still with us today. Because Hebrews chapter 13 tells us that Jesus Christ is what? The same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So this is what makes the believer. A believer who is not fully convinced that what God has promised he is able to perform will never see what God is able to perform. The Bible says God is able. God is able to make all grace abound towards us. God is able. God is able to do anything. There is nothing impossible with God. Jeremiah, the Bible says that all flesh, that there is nothing that is that he's unable to do because he can do everything. Every flesh, every one of us must know that we have to be fully persuaded that he, what he has promised, he is able to perform. Jeremiah 32, 17, he said, for I am the God of all flesh. Is there anything that is too difficult for me? Mark 8, 36 says, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. Hallelujah. Luke 1, 37 says, for with God, all things are possible. So whether you are thinking of impossibility being possible, God can do it. Whether you are thinking of something impossible becoming possible, God can do it. Whether you are seeing the possibility of something looking impossible, God can do it. Hallelujah. Because the Bible says nothing shall be impossible. And with him all things are possible. Hallelujah. So we must understand that we have to be fully convinced. If we are to be effective witnesses in this day and age. We must grow some degree of ruggedness in us. We have a weak generation of believers across the world today. Thank God. Thank God for the numbers that we are in quantity. And we will keep growing. But we need quality. We need depth. We need more stamina. We need more spiritual vigor. We need this kind of thing that these men had in the days of old. It's the same Holy Spirit. We don't have a weaker version of the Holy Spirit. We don't have a less improved or less reduced power of the Holy Spirit. The same power that they had and they went out with boldness is what we have. What we need is the wisdom of God to continue to engage, to be fully convinced. That what he has promised, he is able to perform. Hallelujah. The Bible says Abraham was 100 years old. He did not consider his body now weak. How many of us have thrown away promises and prophecies of scripture? Because we have looked at things. We have looked at our age. We have looked at our accounts. We have looked at our background. We have looked at our whatever. We have looked at our height. Some people look at their height and they give up. <laughs> God says you're going to be a fantastic basketballer and the guy is just 12 years old. He gave up because he feels he's too short. <laughs> Hallelujah. It does not take God anything to do anything. God can do anything as he has promised. What we need to do is to be fully convinced. There's no biological explanation today. It was recorded for Sarah that she was past time. So there was no there was no mistaking the fact that maybe menopause in their time used to happen at age 500. Because <laughs> I know some people would have tried to explain it that way. <laughs> that you see, in the days of old, menopause used to happen to people when they are 500 years old. That's why she could still give birth. The Bible says she was already past time. So even in their days, she was already past childbearing. But here she was, she convinced because she was persuaded. Tell your neighbor for me, be persuaded. And so the Bible says, and therefore it was accounted to him 
for righteousness. Persuasion is something that God always responds to. When God calls a man or calls a woman to be witnesses, the first thing he's looking for is their persuasion. He will test your persuasion. He will test it and he'll keep testing it. He will test it because he knows that that is the only thing you need to take you from where he wants to take you to where you are going. Because he knows you will face storms. He knows you will face challenges. He said to Abraham, I will make you a father of many nations. And then for 25 years, this guy was just being fully persuaded. Just being fully persuaded. And then the child comes and he says, that's the son of promise. And then he now says, now, give me that child. Just to test that persuasion again. The Bible says he did not waver at the promises of God. He did not stagger at them. But he was fully persuaded that what God has promised he's able to perform. Romans 4, 17. The Bible makes us to understand that Abraham's conviction. Remember Pastor Cephas? Remember that my sermon I've been telling you about for two years. We're going to do it one day. <laughs> we need to get into Abraham's conviction. Abraham's conviction. God told me, he said, you need to study Abraham's conviction, Abraham's persuasion. The Bible says he was fully convinced that he knew that he had a God that quickens the dead and calls those things that be not as though they were. Phenomenal stuff. So whichever way, either Isaac was going to be raised from the dead or some other thing will happen, but this Isaac is the child of promise through whom many more sons will be raised. Hallelujah. He was convinced of that. You and I need to be convinced that we are witnesses that, will, that have already been empowered to go to our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, and all the uttermost parts of the world. Don't see yourself as the devil wants you to see yourself today. He wants you to see yourself as some local person in just one corner, struggling to make a living and earning some income and just doing life like that. And something, somebody that can just pass the sand times, uh, go through the sands of time without making any imprint. Don't see yourself like that. You are more than you can see. I say you are more than you can see. Please look at the person next to you and tell them, say you are more than you can see. You are more than you can imagine. This is it. This is it. Great servant of God of blessed memory, Miles Monroe, who was 14 years old, living through the times of terrible, terrible, terrible racism and uh, colonialism in his days as a, as a teenager. And a Scottish man used to call all of them good-for-nothing children that would not amount to anything. And he sat in that classroom every day. All of them were beaten down. And one day he went home to his mama. And he said, you know what, mama? They were living in a very, very poor squalor of a building that was put on sticks, according to him, with running water from the gutters that used to pass under it. And he said to his mama, he said, you know, mama, this is going to be our life forever. This is going to be my life because even in class I'm told that we're no good. And his mama said, you know something, son? We may be like this today, but I want you to open to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. And he said he opened those verses of scripture and he read there. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above whatever we can ask or think according to the power that is at work in me. He said, Mama, you mean that power is in me? He said, you read it right, son. <laughs> you read it right. Hallelujah. He said, and from that day, 
everything changed about his life. By age 18, he began to gather more than 3,000 youths, young people, teenagers. And everywhere his word, the word of God that he contacted began to be transferred to other people. To the point where the president of the country, you know, politicians are very smart people. He said, this boy who is gathering so much of a crowd must belong to my political party. <laughs> so he invited him to the state house and said, tell me, when we organize rallies, we struggle to get 1,000 people. How do you put 3,000 people in a room? Tell me the secret. And he began to share with the man, and the rest is history today. Before he was 25, he was already an ambassador of his country worldwide before he went to be with the Lord. You know, people who at times have a very short time make quick impact and then they go. <laughs> he made so much impact in 30 years of ministry and left at age 54. Fantastic, fantastic. May God help us all to put our own footprints in the sands of time. In the name of Jesus. It starts with persuasion. So to enjoy victory over these adversarial circumstances like Paul, if we go back to the life of Paul, we must understand three things that I discovered in uh, Acts chapter 27 and chapter 28. Three things that were sources of power for Paul, particularly as I will look at in those two chapters. Say with me, the power of the prophetic the power of divine protection, and the power of godly sufficiency. So we talk about prophecy, we talk about protection, we talk about sufficiency, but all from the perspective of divine help or godly intervention. The power of the prophetic. Let's read. We didn't read this in our reading. We read... Acts chapter 28, for those of you listening by audio or watching video, Acts chapter 28 from verse 1 to 10 is the scripture reading we had, but the, com the, the message today is concentrated on Acts chapter 27 and Acts chapter 28. So let's read Acts chapter 27 from verse 22. Acts 27 verse 22. Thank you very much. Let's read together. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Verse 23. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. Verse 25. S verse 24, sorry. Saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Before we go to verse 25, let's read it again. Verse 24. Read it again. This is the prophecy. He said what? Saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Verse 25. Note those things. Note those things before we read verse 25. Two things that angel said to him. You must appear before Caesar and all those who sail with you. So there was an assurance in the prophetic word to Paul that he will definitely see Caesar. This is very important. If you are going to be an effective witness, you must understand something about the power of the prophetic from this perspective. Now let's read verse 25. He said what? Therefore, take heart, man. 
For I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. Hallelujah. Verse 26. Just to give context, he said, However, we must run aground on a certain island. A little bit of a background. You remember Paul, at the end of chapter 26, he had just faced Agrippa, and uh, he, was now, he had appealed to Caesar, so he needed to go to Rome. So they gave him a centurion that would take him by ship, and some other prisoners to take them to Rome. And so they sailed ship. But a time came, Paul saw that there was no need for them to depart from Crete, one of the islands they had perched for some time. And he said to them that let's not sail because it's going to be very bad. And uh, the, the, the centurion felt Paul was just a rambler, in my paraphrase, and he went to the person who was the expert, the, the, the driver of the ship or the captain of the ship, and he said to him, hey, what do you think? And the guy said, let's sail on, let's sail on. You know, there are times that people tend to take the word of doctors and the word, and with all due respect to doctors and uh, professionals, lawyers, whoever you may be, people tend to take the words of professionals beyond the word of God. It is a natural thing to do, but we've got to be very careful as Christians that we understand that whilst every one of those professionals and people have their place, the word of God is the only report that will stand the test of time. Hallelujah. Every one of us must always look for whatever God is saying in any matter whatsoever. Hallelujah. So the Bible says he now told them that when there was a time, when they now came and the, the ship was about to capsize, so many things were happening. If you read Acts chapter 27, the ordeal was grand. And even Acts 28 gives so much of what happened to the ship. They were about to lose the ship. And they were afraid. And then he reminded them, he told them of what the angel said to him just the previous night that he had said to him that he was going to see Caesar. Definitely, he was going to see Caesar and all those who were with him would also be safe. This is very important. When Paul, said, when Paul spoke to Timothy, he said something about the prophecy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. Let's read that together. He said, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to what? The prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Prophecies are no ordinary words. Prophecies are God's words inspired by the Holy Spirit, delivered through the mouth of the anointed. And that anointed includes you and I. Every one of us must understand that we cannot take light. Paul said, you are going to have a warfare in ministry. You remember Timothy was a protege of Paul. He was learning under Paul in ministry. And one of the things that Paul gave him is this simple principle, which Paul used in his own time. He said, this charge, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, he said, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Whatever God has said concerning you is what you must keep holding. Because the day of the storms, the day of the battles, the day of the fire, the day of the floods, they are surely awaiting you. The day of the swords, the day of the perils, they are waiting for you, but you must hold those prophecies that have previously been made concerning you, that by them you will will be able to wage the good warfare. The Bible says, fight the good fight of faith. 
He said, lay hold of the eternal word. Lay hold, lay hold of the eternal life. Fight the good fight of faith. The word of God that has come to you, friends, in forms of prophecies, they are not ordinary words. Jesus, in John chapter 6, verse 53, we will not turn to it now. He said, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. It simply means they sound like ordinary words, but in them contains the spirit that makes possible. In them contains the spirit that makes for life to happen. Hallelujah. When you understand prophecies like this, you will not take them lightly. Anytime I hear a prophecy that hits my heart, I write it down. So that anytime I come to the place of warfare, the Bible says I should lay hold of them because they have been made a year, five years, ten years, fifteen, twenty years ago. It doesn't matter. So I war the good warfare with them. I wage the good warfare with them. Everyone who must be an empowered witness who will overcome adversarial challenges in this day and age must know how to use prophecies to keep fighting the battles of life. Hallelujah. I say this with all humility and to the glory of my God. I stand before you today as a product of dependence on prophecies. When God spoke to me in the year 1998, particularly on December the 6th, as I was on that flight, as many of you have heard here many times, from Tel Aviv to Amsterdam, going on a mission to preach in London before I got back to my home country at that time in Nigeria. The Holy Spirit woke me up in the middle of the night. Actually, it was the air hostesses that woke me up because they were serving food and I was sleeping. Hallelujah. <laughs> the Holy Spirit used them to wake me up. They were going down the aisle as they normally would do and would, they were going chicken or fish, chicken or fish, you know, in, in, in economy class, that's all they tell you, chicken or fish. If you have ever eaten anything different, let me know. It's all that chicken or fish. <laughs> anyway, okay, maybe beef from time to time. Hallelujah. It's only in business class they will give you about five different things. But in the economy, it's chicken or fish. If you don't like any of it, it's too bad for you. <laughs> anyway, they were going chicken or fish, chicken or fish, chicken or fish. And I was in deep sleep. Six weeks of touring the whole of Israel, going from Jerusalem to Tel Aviv to Haifa, all those places, uh, uh, Megiddo, this place that they have, uh, Magda, sorry, Magda, Magda. These lovely places, and it was all around the country, small country, but a lot of travel, so we were really tired. And uh, I was in deep sleep, but I remember that lady coming, chicken or fish, chicken or fish, chicken or fish, and then her voice was fading out. And if you're like me, you're a constant traveler, when the voice is fading out, it means they have gone past you, and they're going far. If you don't wake up at that time, you're on your own. <laughs> so I quickly woke up, and I said, excuse me, I'd like my food. She said, chicken or fish, I can't remember what I chose, but... She said, I'm going to get it for you. So she walked back to the trolley, and as she was walking back, I heard that voice say to me, I'm taking you out of your home country to minister my word in a unique way. I looked around me, I said, yes, Lord, but what I really need now is just chicken or fish. <laughs> I just need to eat. <laughs> this is what I need now. And he said, I'm taking you out to minister my word. And that word began a revolution in my life. Before that time, it was like my own missionary journey to Damascus. It changed everything. I was living a life that was so comfortable. Everything around me in Nigeria at that time did not speak of living it at all. I was 29 years old with a driver and a gardener, two cars, lovely wife. We had a business, a child. Everything was beautiful. 
It's what any 27, 28, 29-year-old would have prayed for and wished for. I was traveling the world. I just told you I was, go- I was in Israel. I was traveling the world. I went to France, come to London many times, come to places. It was a good life, but it was disrupted by that prophetic word. And I went home from that place, a changed man. And I understood that my assignment was going to go beyond Nigeria. And I tell you today, I just to cut the long story short, any obstacle I find in history today or in my life history or my life story today, I tie back to that prophecy. That is as far as ministry is concerned. That I am not here in my own power. I am not in this assignment in my own strength. There is a prophetic word by one who said he was taking me out to a place to minister his word in a unique way. You must lay hold of the prophecies. Now, your life may not have those kind of dramatic moments, but every one of us have prophecies of scripture that tell us that we are witnesses. I said it tells us that we are witnesses. It tells us that we shall be empowered with the Holy Spirit. And he said, we shall be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, on all the uttermost parts of the earth. We must continue to bask in the strength of those prophecies. Paul said, I know that I will appear before Caesar. It's the same thing. When Jesus spoke to Peter, remember that famous story when Peter was about to step out of the boat? And he said, if it is you, Lord, bid me to come. The moment Jesus said, come, is the prophetic word. The power that the word that has both the power of the spirit and life in it. So the moment Peter stepped out of the boat, the power was activated. That was what made Peter walk on water. This is what is making LifeGate walk on water. This is what is making this church inexplicable. This is what is making this church something you cannot design and discern. Because there is a spirit and there is a life that goes with every word that is with the commission. Hallelujah. You and I must understand that our lives are full of those prophetic words. Every time we lay hold of them, we are empowered. We are charged. Hallelujah. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 19 says, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. He said, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well. Tell your neighbor for me, keep doing well. To take heed to the prophetic word. Because it is as a light that shines in a dark place. Every time you are in darkness, it comes out. Every time you are stuck, it comes through. He said, until the day dawns, until you see it happen. He said, and the morning star rises in your heart. Hallelujah. Look at what he said, verse 20, please. Verse 20. He said, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any what? Private interpretation. Verse 21. It is not of private interpretation. Let's read verse 21 together loud and clear. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The things I'm saying in front of you today must have only come from the Holy Spirit. And this is the assurance that you have. Every time you hear the word of prophecy, what the devil will want you to do is to believe that they are ordinary words. He will want you to believe that it's nothing. After all, you've heard that many times. Now, and I know that there are fake prophecies. I know that there are words that have not come from God. Even scriptures validate that. God said to Jeremiah, he said many people were saying things that he did not send them. So I am talking now about the ones that are truly commissioned. The ones that are truly spoken by God. How do we know the difference? There will be a validation. There will be a day star that would arise in your heart. 
when they come through, they have power enough to give you strength. When they come through, they have the ability to do what no ordinary words can do. And they are always validated by other verses of scripture. Amen. Hallelujah. He said, for they were speaking as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Whatever you do, friends, never let go the power of the prophetic. Every time God speaks, he's speaking because he wants to see what he is speaking. When he said, let there be light, they were not wasted words, light came. So why do you think that God who said you will be great, that you will make impact, is just speaking empty words? Why do you think that the God who says that the life that you now live, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you, and that you will keep pressing on to higher things, is determined, or is not going to be determined to make you press into higher things? Never give up. This is not your end. This is not your rest. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The next thing, very quickly, is the power of divine protection. What's the first power we must have? The power of the prophetic word or the prophecies. Then the next one is the power of divine protection. Now, we read this in our Bible reading in Acts chapter 28 from verse 1 to verse 10. But I want to quickly just pick from verse 3. Let's read together. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Verse 4. Verse 4. Thank you. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, listen to that, no doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he had escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. Somebody say man's judgment. Say man's verdict. Let's read verse 5. But he did what? He shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. Verse verse 6. However, they were experiencing, sorry, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time, please shout this out with me, and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. (laughs) Hallelujah. When divine protection is working for you, the people who have criticized you will use their own mouth to say that God is with you. The people who say God has left you will use their own mouth to say you have a great God. In the name of Jesus. Now the viper came out because of heat. The people looking thought that it came out to punish Paul. It was just a natural process. But they gave man's verdict. There are some natural things that will happen around your life. People will think that it's because you are a sinner. They will think that it's because of something you have done. Even after coming out of it, shaking it into the fire, they will still be watching to see whether he's going to die or not. <laughs> the Bible says they were watching. Look at it. They were expecting that he will swell up. They'll be telling themselves. He shook it into the fire. The snake is now dead, but watch, watch, watch what will happen. He will swell up. That's what I was saying. It's true. He will swell up. Instead of facing their own business to do whatever they were doing on the island, the Bible says, but after they had looked for what? A long time. Friends, I want you to know that whether you like it or not, whether you put your name as Maximilian on Facebook, and you don't want them to know your name, they are watching. 
So you better put your real name. I see some people will put uh, Maximilian or some kind of name like, what is Maximilian? Because they are watching. <laughs> That's just a side. Please, use whatever name you want to use. I'm just joking now. <laughs> but you know what? People are watching. There are many people watching. Watching you, watching your pastor, watching this church. They are watching. Some of them are watching with a good eye. Some are watching with an evil eye. Waiting to hear that there is a scattering. Waiting to hear that that man has fallen into adultery. Waiting to hear that he has stolen money. Waiting to hear that he has gone to jail. They are waiting, but they will never get that story in the name of Jesus. Because greater is he who is in me than they that are in the world. Because greater is he who is in you than they that are in the world. Do you know the legion of angels that are protecting you? The Bible says he will give his angels charge over you. When you are serving God, he gives you supernatural energy to overcome incredible odds. I have the energy I cannot describe. How many of you know that I went to London yesterday? I drove to London, came back, attended a meeting before going to play football, and I still played very well. Didn't I play well? (laughs) I didn't score. That doesn't matter. (laughs) It doesn't matter. We used to have a player in Nigeria. His name was JJ Okocha. He didn't score many goals, but the whole world knows he was a good player. I'm a JJ of my time. (laughs) Hallelujah. You need to understand, something works on your inside. The day we first had the first prayer meeting in this place, on the 28th, the first major prayer meeting, August the 28th, uh, 2013, I stood on this same podium from 9 p.m., to 12, I did not leave these four places. I led praise and worship. I sang. I preached. I led prayers for three solid hours. I had never done that in my life before. I used to do 10 minutes, go back, 10 minutes, go back. That day, he said, I have put on you the grace to do the work. So you don't know where we are coming from. People don't know where you are coming from. They only see what they see today and they think that is it. They look for a long time. Then they saw that no harm came to him. May your enemies keep looking for a long time. But one day they will see and they will change their minds and say that he was a God. They will also testify that your God is real. In the name of Jesus. Jesus, when he commissioned the first disciples in Luke chapter 10, verse 1, he said, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Verse 17, I'm just skipping Luke chapter 10, you can read it. Verse 17 says, then the 70 returned, sorry, verse 17, go back to verse 17. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Now let's go to verse 19, let's read that together. Jesus said to them, what? Behold, I give you the authority to what? Trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. I say nothing shall by any means hurt you. In the name of Jesus. When you are going about doing your work of ministry, doing your work of representing this God, where you work, in your school, in your business circles, everywhere, in your family, your extended family, nothing will hurt you. I say nothing shall by any means hurt you. In the name of Jesus, Paul depended on God of the divine protection and nothing was able to hurt him. 
the Lord will continue to keep us all. In the name of Jesus. Because of time, I'll have to skip to the next one. The power of godly sufficiency. The power of godly sufficiency. Number one, the power of what? The prophetic word. Number two, the power of what? Divine protection. Number three, the power of godly sufficiency. Now we read this from Acts chapter 28, from verse 21. The Bible says, Then they said to him, Verse 21, Acts 28, 21. This was when he had now got to Rome. I can't find Acts 28, 21. Okay, I'll read it very quickly. Acts 28, 21. They said, they said to him, We neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. But we desire to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect... We know that it is spoken against everywhere. This is people in Rome talking to Paul. And then the Bible says, So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus as both the law of Moses and of the prophets from morning till evening. Verse 24 says, And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken and some disbelieved. Somebody say, some were persuaded, but some disbelieved. You must know this as a witness. Some will be persuaded, some will not believe. Don't kill yourself over people that don't believe you or believe your message. Don't kill yourself. A whole Paul, Apostle Paul, who has been to Crete, who has been to Economy, who had been to Jerusalem, who had ministered in Damascus, who had ministered in places, high-level thinkers like the, the people in Athens were, who had done marvelous things, fantastic things, got to Rome. Some believed, some did not believe. So why do you worry yourself about people who don't believe your message or your ministry or in you in any way, shape, or form? Keep going because some will believe. You are sent to those who will believe. Even Jesus Christ, the Bible says in Nazareth, he could do nothing there because some did not believe. So we believers must understand this. You keep going to those who believe in your message. You keep investing your energy and your time in those who believe your message because you are sent to those who believe. Hallelujah. And may the Lord continue to prosper our journeys. In the name of Jesus. It is a trick of the devil to get hung up on people who discredit you or who do not believe in you. It's a trick of the devil. And those of you who use social media like Facebook and stuff like that, I'm not teaching you what to do, but there are many, many good buttons on Facebook. There is unfollow, there is unfriend. Nobody is meant to be your friend forever. If the person doesn't want to be your friend anymore, unfriend them. Hallelujah. Unfriend them because you free yourself from people who don't believe in you. Don't remain my friend if you don't believe in me. Because I don't need such friends. I need friends who believe in me, who stand with me, who pray with me, who correct me in righteousness, in love. Not those who criticize me and just want to put me to shame. I don't need such friends. You don't need such friends. You need friends who will stand with you. Friends who will say, Brother David, this is what you ought to do. Friends who will say, I'm praying for you. Friends who will be able to tell you things that would help you. And you also ought to be friends like that to others. Praise the Lord. I want you all to know that this is a life race that you must guard jealously. You have a ministry that must not be rubbished. You have an assignment that must not be put and dragged on the mud. Your, your life is priceless. 
The things that God has put in your life is value. You, nobody can put value on it. Don't let anyone make light of it. You will excel. Amen. I say you will excel Amen. in the name of Jesus. The Bible says, then Paul went down, dwelt two whole years in his own rented house. This is Acts 28 verse 30. I don't know why all these scriptures were not put on. Acts 28, 30. Please read them very well from verse 23 right through to verse 31. He went down to his own rented house and received all who came to him. Paul was a man who was full of godly sufficiency. If we're going to be people, mark my words, I didn't say self-sufficiency, I said godly sufficiency. If we're going to be people who will do this work for the Lord, we must be people who have godly sufficiency. How can a prisoner, somebody who has been in prison for more than three years before that time, be able to rent a house? Have you ever given that some thought? He went two whole years and into his own rented house and received all who came to him. Amen. Amen. And the Bible says he was preaching the kingdom of God and teaching all the things which concern the Lord Jesus. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. We're going to bring this to a close very shortly. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, the Bible says, And what? God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for what? Every good work. Hallelujah. God will continue to make all grace abound towards you. You will keep having a sufficiency in all things. Paul was a prisoner for more than three, four years, basically, and he was still able to rent a house in Rome. It's a mystery. Where did he get the money? How was he able to survive without begging any human being for it whatsoever? The same way God supernaturally met the need of these great apostles of old, he will keep meeting your need. And not only will it be your need that is met, but he will grant you the capacity to help meet the need of others as well. In the name of Jesus. The principle of godly sufficiency is something that every witness must have. You need it to silence the enemy in this end time. My desire, as I hear from social media and as, as I hear across the world, people making a mockery of pastors and making a mockery of church leaders, that they are only in it for money and for business and for things like that. My desire is that God will continue to raise through this assembly, as I humbly submit, and through as many that are keen into this same spirit in this end time, where God will raise people who will make a nonsense of what people are saying about money and the church. Because they will be successful business people. I said they will be successful business people. They will be high-flying professionals. That it will be undeniable that their success is not tied to any church treasury. As a matter of fact, they take money and bring it into the church. And use that money to support the welfare needs of the society. That is the order of godly sufficiency that God wants to put your way. In the name of Jesus. That is why we are about to enter into a nine-part series. From next Sunday on our anniversary, we will enter into a nine-part series of celebrating purposeful gifts and callings. So that you can understand how your profession that you are now or you may be or your children will be can be a tool in the hand of God for this mighty end time move. I say God is going to empower us in the name of Jesus. If we are going to be the church that is of the end time that will bring this word to the nations of the earth, we must be empowered. We must be empowered spiritually. We must be empowered intellectually. We must be empowered financially. We must be empowered physically. 
we must be empowered materially and god is causing you to be empowered in every way in the name of jesus rise to your feet and let's begin to celebrate the empowerment we are walking in